I want to thank you for being here this morning. We have a wonderful crowd. So thankful to be here and to work with this congregation this week. Uh, I want to tell the elders also, I really appreciate their confidence in me and asking me to come. I know you're missing somebody. I'm missing her too. And that'd be my wife, uh, Robin. She's had a total knee replacement and she's not done real well with it. Uh, we're thankful for progress that she's made, but the doctors didn't feel like she needed to travel this far with the risk of blood clots and things like that. Please keep her in your prayers. And she wanted me to uh, express to you too this morning how she regrets not being here. We had planned on this and we look forward. This is one of our favorite places in the world to go. When you sit in an audience like this, this morning, and we have such a, a wonderful crowd and uh, so many people, and perhaps you're visiting, and maybe this is the first time that you've been here. We want to thank you for being here. Sometimes when we sit in an audience like this, we think, well, the, everybody's going to church. Well, that's just not true. Not everybody does go to church. As a matter of fact, I saw a recent uh, poll that they did, <coughs> excuse me, where now in the United States, of all places, there's less than half the people in this country even attend church anywhere. Anywhere. Now, I believe there's a reason for that. And I believe a lack of understanding of what God has planned for us and what he details for us uh, increases that uh, falling away, if you will, of not attending and not taking advantage of this great kingdom that we live in. This morning, I'd like to discuss with you the local church. <clears throat> we meet here this morning as a group of God's people. And we come here for a purpose and for a reason. Why are we here? I want to talk to you a little bit about commitment and dedication. First of all, I want you to know, we all need to understand that God purposed the local church. When we're talking about the local church, we're talking about a church here at Plainview, Texas. We're talking about a church in McMinnville, Tennessee, or in Stratford, Oklahoma. A group of people coming together to serve and to worship God. God purposed this. This is a slide, and you've probably seen this, uh, a, a listing. If not, uh, I'd be happy to give it to you if you want to do some research on this, but this is a listing of the local churches that existed in the first century. We see here that every place in these cities, a church at Antioch, Corinth, Centuria, Philippi, and so on down the list, all of these cities that are listed here had a congregation much like uh, why you're here today. And they came for a purpose, and they came to worship, and they came to serve God and to serve each other. Romans 16, 16 says, the churches of Christ salute you. And that's been one of my uh, scriptures that I've always uh, enjoyed people not understanding. <laughs> because what it really means is the assemblies of the church of Christ salute you. And that's exactly what we mean when we're talking about a local church and some of you, this is old news, some of, the, some of you it's not. But we th we're talking about an assembly of coming together as a member of God's body with other people and serving Christ in that capacity. In order to have a local church, you've got to have something. It's necessary to have this. Uh, you have to have membership. 
I would encourage you to count yourself as a member, not as a member of a civic club or some of that sorts, but as a member of the body by obeying Christ and being added to that church. And then uh, commit yourself to your congregation. Without membership, uh, there is no local congregation. Membership is necessary, and we have several examples of it. Paul uh, joined himself in Acts 9, 26 and through 28. Joining himself there means that he decided to come together as a local, with a local capacity and work with that church. Apollos, uh, they instructed the church there to receive Apollos. So a notice came that Apollos was coming, you receive him. He's going to be a member with you, and he's going to be a part of you. We notice in Romans 16 that Phoebe was a woman that was mentioned that was a servant of the church at Centuria. So we see membership, an example of membership throughout the Scripture. If you're not a member of the Lord's church locally, you need to be. What does that mean? As I said, we have different congregations all over this country and all over the world for that matter. And these assemblies that come together and meet, uh, we're all joined together in a common bond in that bond of Jesus Christ. Now, I, most people call that the church universal, and it does exist. There is a church universal. When we eat the Lord's Supper this morning in a few minutes, we're going to eat the Lord's Supper at the same table with other people all over the world. We eat the same body. We drink the same blood. However, we assemble together here at Plainview in a local capacity. McMinnville's meeting right now, and they're meeting in a local capacity with those people, and we're all eating the Lord's Supper together. God gave a plan for the continuation of the local church, and if he gave a plan for the continuation of the local church, I want you to understand the significance of that. The significance of that is the fact that God ordains it, and it is within his will that a local church exists. I believe that it's God's will for you to be here this morning, assembled together to take the Lord's Supper and to remember his suffering and his death. God gave this plan, and it may seem like to you that every church has elders and deacons and teachers. Every church should be working on those things for sure. But at this point, and throughout time, this has always been the case. There's been transition moments where not every local church had elders. You have elders here. Be thankful for that. Be thankful for it and support them and support their decisions. Not every church is blessed to that point. In McMinnville right now, we're working on that. We plan on that... Uh, materializing in the near future and hope and pray that it does. My little grandson, he, he wants elders so bad. He's nine years old and he came in and his brother's 11 years old. He came in to his mother one day and he's been praying for elders, Lyle. Eli's been praying for elders. And he came in one day from playing and he had tears streaming down his face and he said, Mama, I don't think I could serve with Noah as an elder. Noah's his brother. <laughs> she was really worried. He's really worried about that. They'd been fighting. 
And I'm thankful that my grandsons are looking down the road and thinking about that. Uh, that doesn't happen except their parents teach them and their grandparents. It's my responsibility to do that. Now, the reason I told you that is not simply to brag on my grandchildren, but you will give me that privilege, won't you? Not simply to do that, but to tell you that you need to be thinking down the road for the next generation and the next generation and the next generation of the local church and for the existence of the local church. I want a church here at Plainview 500 years from now if the world stands. And the only way that we can plan for that is to think about it and deliberate these things with our children and our grandchildren and understand that these things that God has ordained are so important if he ordained them, they're important. The last item on that list, if you'll notice, I've put members. Titus 1 and 5 says, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldst set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. Now, of course, ordaining elders in every city would imply that you ordain an elder, elders, in every city that has a local assembly or a local congregation. And that's setting things in order. But you know you can't do that if you don't have members. So members are an integral part of the existence of the local church. You joining yourself to the local church is, is just as important as the idea of having leadership of that church. Because without membership... It cannot exist. Now, it's easy for us to view the universal church and overlook the importance of the local church. That's extremely easy to do. I love the universal church. I like the idea that in a few days, we're all going to assemble in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Uh, I said all. Obviously, that is a, a loose term, but... People that of every congregation in our, of our, uh, in our brethren, many of them, not everyone, but many of them, will come. And they'll represent their congregation. And we will have lectures, we'll have fellowship, and we will have singing, we will have enjoyment. That is a wonderful time. And I'll, everybody looks forward to the area-wide meeting. Uh, many people do. But you know, there's more to our existence in the church than the universal church. Now, I love the universal church on this point, too. My daddy's been dead since 1992, and my mother died in 2010. They were members of the church. My dad was an elder. My mother was an elder's wife. Church universal, they're still members of the church, aren't they? Even though they're not in this life and they have gone on to their reward and they're at rest, hopefully, in Christ, they're still members of the church. And I don't cease being a member of the church universal. No wonder I love the church universal. It's a membership that continues on. And I look forward to being reunited with the people that I've known over the years that were members of the Lord's church, that meant so much to me. 
And we look a lot of times in our congregations, not everyone has a congregation this size. I think you know that. We look and sometimes we get discouraged. And we look at Church Universal and we think, well, what a blessing it is to be Church Universal. But I'm going to tell you, I'm accountable to my brethren at my local congregation. And I have a responsibility there to my brethren at my local congregation. I want you to think a minute this morning and do some analysis, if you will, of your surroundings. And the people that are sitting around you, who are you accountable to? What responsibility do you have to them? Some of you have heard me talk about a sweet woman back in our congregation. Her name's Miss Jewel. Jewel is not a, uh, she's not been in the church long. She's an, a widow woman. She's not been in the church long. She has family, but they don't live close to her. She had an upbringing that was not desirable. I'm not saying it was the worst kind of upbringing in the world, but it certainly uh, was not what you would hope for. They lived at the projects in Nashville. Her family did. And I, don't, I think it was out of poverty more than any reason that took them there. But Miss Jewel, she heard the gospel preached. And she obeyed the gospel. And she joined herself to our congregation. Now, at this point in our life, we have a responsibility to Miss Jewel. <laughs> and it's a huge responsibility. Now, I want to tell you, Jewel needs to be seen about. She's not the only one in our congregation. At this point, we're accumulating widows. We have to see about them. I have a responsibility to them. Who do you have responsibility to? Beyond your family. Because I think you have a family here. I think you have a greater family than just your husband, your wife, and your children. I think you have a family that you're responsible to, and they may be sitting very close to you that needs your help. Jewel had her car break down uh, not long ago. It actually just died. It didn't break down, and she thought it was tore up. She called me, and she said, Mark, she said, I'm nervous. She said, my car's broke down. I'm on my way home. I got it started back. That's okay. I'm happy to do that for Miss Jewel. I'm happy to see about Sister Louise. I'm happy to see about Joni. I'm happy to see about those. But you know, they're not the only ones either. I have a responsibility to the kids of that church. I have a responsibility to people all around me. I have a personal responsibility and a personal investment in each person there. And you do too. For us to think then that we're not accountable to our brethren would be a lie of the devil. And it would be something that would remove you from an activity, active source of comfort and peace and instruction and edification for your brethren. Assume your responsibility, your responsibility to each other. We're going to talk a little bit about what that is. Make a commitment. 
Make a commitment to this congregation. One of the things that you can commit to is you can commit to attend. If you want to kill this congregation, just quit coming. I know you don't want to kill it. I know you love this, this assembly, this congregation here. But if everybody quit coming, the elders wouldn't have anybody to oversee. They would have lost their flock. And there would no, be no longer a congregation here in Plainview, Texas that is doing the work that you're doing. Hebrews 10.25 instructs us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhort one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. The context of this verse is that they were undergoing persecution. They were undergoing great persecution. You are too. No one that lives godly in Christ Jesus will be exempt from persecution. Now, if I'm being persecuted, and I'm being persecuted by the world, heaven forbid that we would persecute each other. I need to help each other. We need to help each other. One of the ways that we can help each other is our presence. Now, this morning, uh, Jewel uh, is at home, and she's missing me. I know she is. I miss her. I do. She asked me, she said, how long are you going to be out there? I said, I'm going to be out there Sunday to Sunday. She said, that's ten sermons. Have you got that many? <laughs> Just change the titles. That's what Truman used to say. Just change the titles. We miss each other when we're truly attached to each other. Now, if you're looking around this morning and you're not missing someone, or if you think that when you're not here they're not missing you, and you don't miss your brethren, maybe it's because you're not attached to them. Maybe you haven't made that commitment that I'm going to be there for you. You see, I don't come to church simply for the benefit of myself. And when I say come to church, I'm talking about the assembly. I realize fully as Church Universal that I am the church when I'm out anywhere. I know that. And you know that too. But we're talking about the assembly of our local congregation. When I'm not assembling and I'm not missing, maybe it's because I have not attached to myself. One of the things that always perturbs me is when someone, uh, and, I, and I say perturb, it's frustrating. Because we want people to be attached uh, what kind of an evangelist or what kind of an elder would you be if you didn't want people to be attached to the church, you know? And for someone to say, well, your meeting's going on this week and, you're, and they're attending with you, at least sporadically, but it's always yours or y'all's, that's frustrating to me. I want it to be ours. I want us to work together. And our presence encourages each other according to Hebrews 10, 24. And he tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together or yourselves. And that's talking about the local congregation. So I have a commitment to attend. There were two things that my mom and daddy taught me. And I've kind of taken them to heart. <laughs> And that is, number one, you don't miss going to church. Number two, you don't miss work. 
Either one of those are deathly. And it's a death sentence. People that won't work, they kill their families. They kill their income and their livelihood. People that will not come to church and assemble, it's a death sentence. Eventually, the assembly becomes so unimportant that they don't even think about it. They've got a million things on their mind and a million plans, and their life is so full of activities, but they're in such poverty of spiritual needs. I worked with a, a, a young man for many years, and he told me one day, he became a member of the church, and he told me one day, he said, Mark, he said, I used to, when I woke up on Sunday morning, he said, when I woke up, he said, I, all I thought about was NFL football. You know people like that? He said, I, I thought about it. I made my plan that day about NFL football. I wanted to make sure I had plenty of refreshments. I wanted to make sure that what teams were on, and I could follow them all. I want to tell you, the world is full of people like that. You do not be like that. Our plans need to revolve around the assembling of ourselves together as, the, as, Jesus, as, as the, uh, the Holy Spirit instructs there in Hebrews 10. We need to attend. And we need to take it to heart to attend. We assemble for two reasons, according to Hebrews 10. One is a profession of faith. And number two is to consider one another. And to encourage one another in good works and in comfort. But also a profession of faith. Now, Hebrews 10, 23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. That's the uh, New King James Version. The uh, King James says profession, same meaning. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he is faithful. He has promised it's faithful. I've got a picture of a judge banging a gavel. I was just thinking about the people that claim to be church goers. And if they were put on trial for being a churchgoer, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Just because we attend sporadically, just because church works into our schedule from time to time, does not mean that we're making a profession or a confession of faith. I want to tell you, when you came into this building this morning and assembled today with brethren of like faith, and we're going to partake the Lord's Supper in a, in a, in a spiritual meal at a common table with the Lord and with other people, we are making a profession, a confession of our faith. When I grew up, I'm getting pretty old, but when I grew up, it, you, they'd talk about people that were churchgoers. Maybe they still talk about it in some areas of the country. Most times it's not mentioned anymore when you've got over half the people in the country that's not attending anywhere. But you talk about being a churchgoer. Does the world see you as a churchgoer? And what does it mean to go? It does, it, does it mean to attend sporadically and let this be a secondary part of your life? We make a profession of our faith, and we also encourage each other and to consider one another. Let us consider one another to stir up love and good works. I need to, I need to be an encouragement to you. 
And I, I can't do that if I'm not with you. If I'm not around you and I'm not attached to you, I can't encourage you. We're going to talk one night about Peter and his life. And he fell into a trap of trying to follow Jesus at a distance, and we can't do that. And we can't support one another from a distance. I need to be involved in your life. You need to be involved in my life. Think about the people that are around you this morning, the people that need you. Will you consider them? Will you consider them to provoke to love and to good works? This means think about, regard, be thoughtful, look at closely, turn over in mind, observe fully. If I'm not thinking about you and considering your needs and considering what I can do to encourage you to be a more faithful person, encourage you to be closer to Christ, and that's our goal. Our goal is not to, to, to gain any kudos from the world, but our goal is to please Christ. Pleasing God here means something. And I can't please God except I encourage you. And I provoke love to you. The reason? Promote love and good works. We need to consider one another. I want to suggest to you one way that you consider, consider uh, each other is to think about wearing one's shoes for a while. And of course we know what that uh, means. It means to think about your life or their life. What they're going through right now. I'll go back to Miss Jewel a moment. She, she had cancer and she had uh, major surgery. She was sick. You know, before the church came into her life, before she became a member of the church, she would have been at her house by herself. She would have suffered alone. Shame on us if we're allowing our brethren to suffer alone. We're to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. But we need to be involved in each other's lives to do that. It's very easy. Robin and I, before she had the, uh, the knee surgery, we talked to a lot of people that had knee surgery. And sure enough, we got a lot of different opinions. Everybody gave you a different deal. And Robin was scared to death having this knee surgery. And sometimes I wonder if that's not what uh, has been a, a cause to keep her in the back, back set her a little bit, I don't know. But until she had the surgery, it was very difficult for her to be in another person's shoes that had had the surgery. The same is true with all things. I don't know what it's like to have the headaches of a major business. I don't know what it's like to be alone never experienced that. I don't know what it's like to have an afflicted body where I get up and take pills for 30 minutes before I eat my breakfast. I've never had that. But I know a lot of people that have. 
And I know that I need to consider them and I need to try to wear their shoes for a while and to gain some empathy and not criticism or just look over what they're going through. Philippians 2 and 4 says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of another. I need to look upon your situation, and you need to look upon my situation. We need to employ the golden rule of Matthew 7 and 12. Whatsoever we would that men do to, to us, do to them. We need to be compassionate in that way. We need to try to understand. We need to give the benefit of doubt to people. There may be a reason why they're short with you today. There may be a reason why they don't seem as friendly as they normally do. Maybe it's not you at all. Maybe it's their problem that they're going through something in their life that you can help and that you can encourage them with. We need to take into account that there are differences in people. I don't think I really fully understood that or appreciated it until I married. <laughs> but when you get close in a relationship, in a marriage relationship, you see the difference in people. There is a difference. Let's take that into account when we are considering each other. So we have a commitment and a responsibility to attend so that we can promote love and good works and that we can make a profession of our faith. And we need to consider one another. Number three on this list of some of our commitments and our obligations to each other is I tell you, we need to be striving for unity. There's enough division. Leave the division at the door. Leave it for the world to fight over. Don't bring it here. Let's strive for unity. We know that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. And this peace entails a unity. When Christ made peace between God and man by his sacrifice, he created a unity. We need to strive for that. Now, the scripture teaches us this word strive over and over again. He talks us to strive to enter in. What does that mean? It means that this is something that's not going to come natural to me. When we try to do things that are not natural for us, we have to work at it. We have to strive. Strive. We have to strive for unity. Romans 14, 19 puts it this way. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. The distraction is this, is that I can pursue things that will create division. That's easy. All you've got to do is turn on the TV and you see that. Satan is constantly trying to divide us. And the Lord teaches us that we are to be unified, to have the same mind. We have the same goal. We work toward the same end. For the same reason, for the same purpose. In order to do that, we have to pursue those things. To follow closely after, to be tuned into those things. Let's work toward peace and unity. Let's learn to work together, as the scripture teaches in 1 Corinthians 12, as a body. And each one 
understanding their responsibilities in this body. Let's learn to communicate with each other. Let's communicate without wrath. Let's communicate without sarcasm. It's essential to any relationship. If you want to destroy your marriage, just quit talking to each other. That's all you have to do. We have to communicate with each other in the body of Christ as well. We should solve a lot of problems by honest, truthful communication. Problems that would uh, rise up and, and destroy otherwise, if not talked about. But we can solve them. God can solve them through communication. This particular passage is also in, very important to me. And I hope it's important to you. We need to learn to forbear one another. And what that means is to hold up. If I'm going to be forbearing with you, I'm going to hold you up. I want to hold you up. I don't want to do something that's going to destroy you. I don't want to tear you down. We need such a tight communication that when we give each other the benefit of the doubt, we're going to hold each other up. We're going to be patient with each other. It's part of our commitment and dedication to the local church. Furthermore, we need to learn not to be stubborn or self-willed. I know. I know it's important to you. I know you have things in your life that are extremely important to you. But I want to tell you, when we start arguing over things that are a personal preference, like the color of paint, and I mean that happened at home. I'm sorry, but it did. We painted the building and I was afraid <laughs> it was trouble. But we got through it. You know why? Because people had to understand my preference is not that important. I may have a preference in things, but really, is it that important? Is it worth it? The Scripture teaches us that an elder, calls him a bishop here, must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed. The only agenda that you and I need to have in our life is that we're going to please God. And we're going to do that at all cost. And it may be the cost of my own preference and my own self-will. What's natural for me is to want the things I want. And to work toward the things that I want. But if I am not self-willed, then I am start thinking about the things you desire. What will make your life better? What will make you a better Christian? Above all, will this please God? One thing we always need to remember is we need to be concerned about pleasing God. If we're pleasing Him, nothing else really matters. Our will does not, is not that important. Let's please God. When we... Uh, our self-willed, we refuse to yield or listen to work things out. I've seen that. You have too. Maybe you've been guilty of it. Maybe I have. But if we're working toward peace and unity, we cannot be self-willed. 
Furthermore, we need to be kind and forgiving. I need to be forgiving because I want to be forgiven. I have a great need to be forgiven. And my forgiveness is contingent upon me forgiving. Jesus uses a term there that is conditional. He says, if. And that is a conditional word. And if I'm not willing to forgive my neighbor or my brother, God's not going to forgive me. I don't know of any group, large or small, however it is, it doesn't matter that there hasn't been something happened that somebody feels like that they need to be uh, said I'm sorry to. I'll tell you what, let's live our life as a body that says, you know, I'm not requiring an I'm sorry because I love you. Do you require an I'm sorry out of your spouse every time that something goes haywire? If you did, then it makes for a very uncomfortable situation, doesn't it? But no, the, the reason why that's not the case is you don't require that is because you love your wife or your husband. And they love you. And you understand that they are a forgiving person. And you're willing to forgive them also. Now, as members of the Lord's church, we're held to that standard. And if I'm going to put my will over yours, and I'm going to require and I'm sorry for a crossword or for an insult or for being snobbed or whatever, I'm telling you, we're never going to be unified. Ephesians 4.32 says, And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Tenderhearted, kind. A kind word will turn away wrath. It will, it will stop the fight. Just tell somebody if, if, if they're doing you wrong, just tell them you love them. Show them you love them. Don't just tell them. My mother used to say, don't tell me you love me, show me you love me. She was, pretty, she was pretty adamant about that, and she didn't give her I loves you very easily. They came, they came at uh, very rarely, but she showed you. She showed me. And, you, and the same is true with you. If our words of I love you, if they don't hold any, any uh, substance... They become, well, they don't mean anything at all. We could put a sign up that says, we love you. We could put a sign out here on the interstate, we love you. But our measure of love is going to be known by our actions, by what we do. We need to forgive one another and love each other. We need to employ a little wisdom in our congregation. Look down the road. Try to look past your nose. I'm pretty bad about that. I will admit it. And, and when, I, when I write these things, a lot of times it's because this is what I need to be doing. Let's think about the future. Let's look down toward the line. Let's see where we're going. Let's have a vision. Let's follow that vision. Look past our nose and not look at 
what's happening right now altogether. Let's have some wisdom and not be inconsistent. Let's stay the course. Let's stay the course. Let's understand that we're going to have consequences for our actions. And because we live in a carnal body, cursed by sin, we're going to have problems. And let's understand that we're going to suffer consequences. By understanding those things, we can look past what's happening in the immediate and look toward the future and work toward the future. Let's ask ourselves, where will these things take us? Where are we working for and where will we be if we arrive at it? Let's employ some wisdom. This morning, I want to offer you an invitation. It's not my invitation, it's the Lord's. Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. This is a tired world. <laughs> it is a tired world. People are scared of living and terrified to die. They're tired of living and they're fearful in what's going to happen when they die. But I'm going to tell you, we don't have to be. And the strength that we find in the body of Christ is a strength that the world cannot offer anywhere. And if you're not a member of the body of Christ, come to Jesus. Repent of your sins. Make a change in your life. Make a decision. Make a good confession that I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. When you're making that confession, you're saying, I agree with the evidence that has been given me, and I support the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. If He is the Son of God, then He is deity. He is God. And if he's God, then I'm obligated to obey him. And that's what the confession means. Submit yourself to be baptized with Christ in his body, in his death, his burial, in his resurrection. And the scripture teaches us that he adds us to the church. Now the church universal, you add yourself to the church local. You can decide to work here, to strive here, Understand, as with a family, you have commitment, you have obligation. Work toward fulfilling that. If you're here this morning and perhaps you've not been living up to your duties and your obligations and you want help and you want prayer, we want to help you with that. The elders here and the uh, leaders of this congregation are more than willing. And all of us as a group are willing to pray with you and try to help you in some form. God has offered His forgiveness and His strength and His Holy Spirit to help transform us. If you're here this morning and we can help you in any way, the invitation is yours as we stand and sing.